Um, so 25 years ago, and Chris will tell you the story, but he started at White Oak Bible Chapel. They actually had to talk him into it, being their pastor. And we have a couple of the people that were here from the beginning. So when we went to White Oak Bible Chapel, there were 10 people. And there were five of us. Instant growth. <laughs> but um, Keith and Karen, could you stand up, please? And Ruth, can you stand up? Yeah, I know. <laughs> she doesn't want to. So of the original 10, I think that's that's it that are here. Because there was only and, five. Uh, Huh? Only, there was only five. We were five. There were ten. There were ten. And we were five. Yeah, we're going to argue about this now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> if you know me, that's not surprising. Um, could the rest of the White Oak folks stand up? So anybody else from White Oak Bible Chapel? Yeah? Then we also, yeah, Conger kids, you were White Oak people, stand up. And Kurt, you were White Oak, stand up. I'm getting to the rest of you. Okay. And then actually, Christy and um, Barry were part of our second church that we started, Crowing. Yay. Okay, now any of family stand up that are here? Family, mom and dad. Jeannie, Barbie, Logan, Patty. Is there anybody else I'm missing? Okay. And then I think there were somebody else was here too. Who am I missing? Oh, <laughs> Don and Mike, stand up. This young couple were newly married 25 years ago when we were at White Oak. Actually, I'm going to tell a story, and this has to do with you children. Um, they were brand new. You can sit down the rest of you. They were brand new married, and they would come over, and Mike would rile up our kids. We had um, the three boys at that time. Just and before bedtime. Just before bedtime. And they'd walk out saying, best form of birth control ever. <laughs> they were kind of wild. Anyway, we also have many extra friends and family that are here today, too. So thank you for coming and celebrating with us. And I'm going to give the microphone to Chris now. I have my own. You don't need a microphone. Yeah, but you have to stand here a second. So I am going to tell the story, but i got to get this part out of the way first. It says in... in We're going to keep the kids in here today. Usually they go to children's church, but I will do a, a good job at keeping you in the story. But um, it says in Genesis that when God made man, it was, it was not good for him to be alone. So he made a helper, and the word helper that he used for Eve a suitable, a, a suitable companion, a suitable sustainer beside him. And so the word actually means sustainer beside him. And it's used 27 times in the Old Testament, mostly 
to describe God's enabling and God's special kind of help. And so my dear wife never planned on being a pastor's wife, but she's done a great job learning. And so, and we're both learning, and we're just about to get it figured out <laughs> and uh, to start the second half of this journey. But I just want to thank you. So for me, it's about, and for us, for us, it's about three things. God's provision and plan. When, when we respond to Him, he, he loves us dearly. He loves everyone in this building dearly. And He, Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He has a plan for us. If we would embrace it, if we would submit to Him, if we would cooperate with Him, and engage Him and respond to His call in our lives. So it's about God's provision and plan, and it's about God's precious Word, His powerful, precious, life-transforming Word, His Word that never returns void, His Word that is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, His Word that penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, His Word that transforms lives. And it's about relationships. It's about relationships we build in our lives and we have throughout life and some of them are brief and some of them last a long, long time. And so I suppose the real story begins in Chisholm, Minnesota, uh, where a long-haired, penniless kid who just hitchhiked across Minnesota to meet his future in-laws which they didn't know they were his future in-laws yet, and his future bride. And he had hiked across Minnesota from a job in the Boundary Waters as he was a, a guide in the Boundary Waters for a ministry where he was a volunteer. And so I had just uh, asked this question to Kathy's parents. And as the color left her face and she started to turn pale, Far from the normal color of her olive skin, representing her heritage, her Slovakian heritage, I kept wondering, is this woman going to faint? What have I just done? She was just kind of stunned and speechless. And so uh, the story begins. Thirty years ago, I was working in an air conditioner factory in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, just north of Minneapolis. I had been there about five years, and we hired another young man named Jerry. And Jerry and I became good friends, and we would spend each day during uh, the day this whistle would blow, and one at 10 o'clock for a 10-minute break, one at uh, lunchtime for a half-hour break, and one at 2 o'clock for a 10-minute break. And we began to realize that we both uh, were new Christians, and we both loved the Word of God. So we would take every minute we could possibly get to spend together in those brief moments um, talking about Scripture, talking about verses. And Jerry went on to become a recording artist in Nashville. And he, he, in his first album that he dedicated, it says in the beginning to Chris Conger, who always found the best verse in the Bible. 
And that was, I would come in the morning to, I couldn't get, wait to get to the first break and said, Jerry, did you know this? And I had found this verse during the night. Did you know the Bible says this? And he would say, Chris, did you know it says that? And so we'd go back and forth sharing the greatest verse in the Bible. And so during this time, I also met an older man who'd spent uh, the better part of 40 years church family that Kathy and I were attending. And so we were part of that class. And again, another opportunity for me to learn to trust God, to learn about the greatness of His Word and to the wonder of His promises. And so I ended up taking class year after year with, uh, with this teacher. And uh, I had worked my way into the company. I had been there about 10 years. And so an opportunity came up for another position within the company I was working for. And so I was staying late that night for an interview with the leaders. And I remember getting done with the interview, and I specifically remember this because I had already been working 9 to 12 hours a day at the job I had. And they were offering me a position with uh, uh, quite an increase in salary, but an opportunity to travel. And they were selling this point big time. You're going to be a technician for our company. You're going to be able to travel the world and do on-site repairs. And, um, and I was thinking in my mind, well, man, I'm already working 9 to 12 hours. I've got a family. And he, he, he says, yeah, I know you have a family. Wouldn't you want to buy your, your children new shoes and get a cabin on the lake and all that stuff? And they said, yeah, but I'd like to see them wear the shoes. And I'd like to be at the cabin. And so uh, I ended the interview not sure what to do, and I was walking down to the time clock, and here's Jerry. And you got to know that Jerry was a guy that he was so into music that when that buzzer rang at 3.30, he was standing there with his time car punching out. He's on his way. He's not there for anything other than to, to make some money so he can buy new guitar strings. So when I saw him there at about 6 o'clock in the evening, I'm saying, Jerry, what in the world are you still doing here? And he told me he had to finish an unusual project. And he said, well, what are you still doing here? And I started telling him about this interview and about this job opportunity. He says, Chris, you can't do that. you got to go like be a pastor or something. you got to go talk about God's word. You can't do that. And it just like, it came out of his mouth and just exploded upon me, exploded in my heart and my mind and I was just reeling with the words. I I had no clue. I didn't I didn't even know a pastor except that Kathy and I had to go to a pastor to get married. I didn't know what pastors did and didn't have any in my life really other than the guy that married us. And so I by the time I got home this was so much on me that uh I told my wife I broke in the door and sometimes I'm a little large and I bust into the door and I say Honey, I don't know where, I don't know when, but we're going to school. And she just kind of, I don't know, she probably, yeah, she, she probably knew ahead of me, which she always does. So if I ask her what God's doing, I say, hey, honey, what's God doing? She'll tell me. But I still don't get it. He has to tell me. So then uh, we started making some calls. And while I'm still working my job, um, she was calling around, and she called. There was one famous Bible college. I I didn't have a very big grasp of Bible colleges or pastors or anything of the sort, right? 
So she said, well, isn't there a college in Chicago called Moody? We were talking about it a little bit, and then I came home that day, and she said, hey, listen, I had a nightmare about the streets of Chicago, so Moody is out. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and then that's when I remembered I had a long, long time ago, there was a guy named Joe Nelson, and he, he's not here this morning, but his mother is and his sisters are, but he was going to a college down the city called Northwestern, and somehow I connected with him, and somehow I remembered that there was a college up in the woods by way up north called Bemidji or something, and I've come to find out it's called Bermidji because it's very cold, and so uh, we, we called up there, and sure enough, they took older students, like I was like 30, 30 at the time, somewhere around there, 30 at the time, and they took older students, and they even took students who, had, who were married and had families, and actually they kind of liked those students, and I found out it's because we had to do a lot of babysitting of the younger students, but, uh, um, but Kathy got excited about this place, so we... Uh, we put the house up for sale uh, on the market for sale by owner. And then we started um, investigating what this might look like, that we're going to go to school. And we made a trip up to Oak Hills and had an interview. And we looked around. And, you know, when I drove into the campus and I saw that the campus sits on a lake, I elbowed her and I said, this is the place, baby. <laughs> and then... Uh, so I realized there was some distractions, so I really had to set my mind. And so we started packing up the house, and we moved over to Kathy's mom and dad's for a little bit because she's nine and a half, nine and three quarters, nine and nine-eighths pregnant. And, uh, I mean, really pregnant. And, when, like, when we got to college, Tim was two days old. I remember one of the incidents that I was – she was holding little Tim in the, what's it called, a car seat deal? And I was holding Luke in my arm, and CJ was a, just a perfect little angel standing there, you know. And uh, Luke's on my shoulder here, and he reaches over and grabs a book rack. And it was it's in the entryway of the college, some greeting cards and books, and he pulls the thing over. And I'm thinking, we're here! <laughs> so... Yeah, we had some great incidents, and uh, kids learned to climb on roofs there and uh, hunt and fish a little bit. So, um, But now the real work began, because I was a poor student the first time I tried college, and after two prior fails of trying college, here I am again. But now I, I didn't realize I had grown up a little. I learned a couple things. In the workforce, I had learned what's called self-discipline and a little bit of structure to my life. And you know what? It helped. And it helped me stay off the lake. It helped me stay in the classroom. And when I was done with the classroom, I went to my little spot in the study in the library and just poured myself into my studies. And um, I didn't know yet what I was going to be, what I was doing there. Really, it was just kind of unfolding as we went. We knew that we were supposed to take some steps. and so. Uh, I had called the, the, the Bible teacher that had taught that class that I got so engaged in. I said, hey, 
what's what's going on in my life? Here's some of the things that have happened. And he said, well, obviously the first thing you need to do is take care of your vast Bible deficit. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, I just studied three years with you, and now you're telling me I have to take care of my vast Bible deficit. And really, this is a book that it may have, it, part of 66 books, Old Covenant, New Covenant, you will never scratch the surface of the depth of the wisdom of the knowledge and the beauty and the wonder of God, let alone manage to handle the Bible. Okay, The promises of God, the nature of God, the character of God. So I, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right, okay. And so here I am at Bible college, and I didn't really know yet what God was doing. But I had to sign up for these classes, and one of the classes was called Introduction to Christian Ministry. And you know what you have to do in that class? You have to actually teach a Sunday school class. I'm like going, well, what's a Sunday school class? Well, where people meet in these buildings called churches, you go there and you and sometimes the people that are really eager and hungry for God's word come early and they have classes. And you you need to teach one of those classes. I'm so well, shouldn't they find somebody who knows something? And uh so I ended up teaching one of the classes because it was requ- required of me and I unbeknownst to me, one of the professors was in the class. One of the professors whose job was in northern Minnesota to fill the pulpits of small little congregations across the area who were without a pastor. And he says to me at the end of a couple weeks of teaching, he says, hey, is your name on the pulpit supply list? And I said, what's a pulpit? Um, Pulpit supply list, what do you mean? He goes, oh, well, you know, you seem like you have some possibilities to teach and I would like you to put your name on the pulpit supply list and then we can send you to a church to preach. I said, nah, not not interested in that. So a couple weeks later he came and asked me, hey, did you put your name on the pulpit supply list? I said, nah, not interested in that. So finally, I thought maybe I was going to fail the class he was teaching, so I said, okay, I'll call the secretary. So I called the secretary and said, hey, this is, uh, this is, oh, she goes, who? And I said, yeah, put me on the bottom of the B list of the preaching. And I, I don't think she got my name yet, but she knew that was CC involved in it. So she looked through the student list. It wasn't a lot of us. Oh, it was Chris Conger who called. And um, so Thanksgiving break comes, and we have a chance to go home to the cities to uh, visit family over Thanksgiving. And... We had a great time, and when we get back to the off uh, our our apartment at Oak Hills, I walk up to check the mail, and I'll never forget the date, December 8th. And I open up my mailbox, and it says, Can you preach at White Oak Bible Chapel on December 8th? Now listen, I remember what December 7th was. It was a bad day. Remember December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. Right? And I'm thinking, this is December 8th, another Pearl Harbor. They're asking me to go and preach in, at this little church. And uh, lo and behold, it was, I was terrified. And I started gulping. And then I read the rest of the note. It said, would you also lead the singing? And I gulped even bigger. And I was terrified even more. And I knew, but 
I also knew that this was something. I was sensing that this was something God was inviting me, asking me to step into. So I walked home slowly wondering, thinking about how I could invite, lovingly coerce, or bribe my wife to lead the worship. Because we were going and uh, you don't want me singing. So Sunday morning, we I can't remember what hour of the morning it was, but we had an hour drive in our little white van and we had to pack the kids in and get everybody ready. And we head down to this little white oak chapel to this huge crowd of 10 people, okay? And uh, we gathered together, and I, I remembered, oh, yeah, we passed this place on the way up to college. And we said to each other, look at that cute little building. Wouldn't that be fun to go to sometime? And now I'm standing there in this church, and... Uh, I'm conversing my wife to share some songs, <clears throat> and then I'm sitting there trembling, walking up to the pulpit, holding on for dear life, you know. That's why they make these things so big, because you can't see. And I'm walking because that helps the nerves. But uh, so we get there, and I preach on Psalm 119. I'll never forget it. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it. 172 of them have to deal directly with God's Word. It's filled with the beauty and the wonder of the promises of God. Right? How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the law. And uh, Psalm 119. So, scared to death for the first few minutes. Thrilled for the next 55 Right? I preached for 55 minutes my first sermon. Anybody remember that? Okay. Yeah. Because the kids were, weren't, they were, okay, Tim was with, okay, that was good. We got a babysitter, so. But uh, it was, surprise, surprise, I loved it. But that didn't mean I ever wanted to do it again, okay? Didn't mean I had any inkling to do it again. But they invited us back. Through the winter, I preached a few more times, and then came April when you're creeping toward the end of the the, the semester where May is coming, and you got to figure out what you're going to do with the summer. They invited us back, and then in May, um, they said, can you speak three times in a row? I'm trembling. you know. I said, I can imagine once in a row with breaks in between, but three times, you mean three consecutive Sundays? So I run to the professor. I'm going, Professor, they asked me to speak like three times in a row. Like three Sundays in a row with no breaks in between. Where do you get the material? I mean, like I can I can figure out something for a half hour once a month, maybe. But three times in a row. He says, Chris, don't worry. One day you're gonna they're gonna hardly be able to shut you up. And so, because there's a lot in God's Word to talk about, right? A lot to share. So, we stepped out on a limb and accepted their call. And then, as summer was coming up, they invited us to come for the summer. I re-hooked up with my job in the cities. I worked uh, 40 to 48 hours a week during the, in the cities. Then we packed up the van and we headed up to the little White Oak Chapel 
Um, got there sometimes at 10, 11 o'clock on Friday night. We'd either stay with Ruth or stay at the parsonage. And then we'd, I'd do some whatever you'd call learning how to pastor in a small community. Did a little visiting, a little woodcutting, a little shingling, whatever came up. And then on Sunday morning, I would attempt to open this book, tell them what I'm learning, and tell them what it says. And then we'd go back to the cities. And so throughout the summer, we did that. And by the time fall came, we actually were, we were pastoring the little church. And so the transition was God's promise, God's provision, God's word, and relationships just continued to be built. And then transformation. Lo and behold, um, I find in my own heart, I can't get enough of this precious word. I love the word. And the word, by God's grace, by God's grace, is changing me. And it's changing me. And all I want to do is love people. All I want to do is love people by telling them and helping them see the love of God. And sometimes I get in the way of that. I realize that. But I was reminded again this morning, just listening to my son and daughter-in-law lead us in worship. I just want to praise Him. I just want to worship Him. I just want my life to be His. And I want to point to Him. And I want to do a good job at pointing to Him. And honor Him. And so, we're... We're in the midst of this 25-year journey, somewhere near the beginning, I imagine, right? And by God's grace, we'll continue. We have a lot to learn. It's been beautiful and wonderful and terrifying and terrible and painful and glorious. And I'm learning things in the Word about some of the not-so- recognizable passages in Scripture, like one I'll just share as I close. It says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, one of my favorite passages over the years, it says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Akeley. Okay? It says Asia. But I lived in Akeley, and that's where God began to form us. And in that forming, it's like crushing perfume, right? It's like forging. It's like um, a beautiful weaving together of what He does in your lives, in your marriages, in your families, with His Word. So He says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life itself. But, indeed, in our hearts we even felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we would not rely on ourselves, but that we rely on God who raises the dead. That's the gospel. God so loved the world that He sent His Son Jesus. He sent His Son Jesus to conquer death, to conquer sin, so that we could have eternal life. And we have eternal life by accepting God's provision, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God's provision for sin and death. Jesus Christ, God's answer for what ails us. Jesus Christ, 
the healer. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, Him who was dead but is now alive forevermore. He who is the King, the Redeemer, the Son, the Judge. He who is and was and ever will be. The King, the Redeemer, Jesus. And we have that privilege. So he says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks. Many will give thanks on behalf of His gracious provision granted in answer to prayers. And so you and I have a privilege to walk this journey out with God wherever He takes us. And it's a, we need to have the privilege to live, and we should live with wide-eyed wonder. Honey, just think what's going to happen in the next 25 years. Wide-eyed wonder. More sounds of coyotes in the night. More relationships. More opportunities to love and serve. And more people to point to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for... Your grace, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your love. And we thank You, God, that You pursue us. And You rescue us, not only out of sin, but out of lostness, of not knowing Your plan and Your provision, of not knowing Jesus, Your Son, of not knowing the grandeur of the adventure that You call us all to walk, of trusting You wherever we are. Whatever we're doing, we can trust you and we can see you transform our lives and the lives of those around us as you call us into the great adventure of life, of walking with you. We thank you for your grace and your goodness expressed mostly in your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I don't know what you have. Okay. Um. Everybody, let's stand together and I will pray for our meal that we're going to share. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to share a meal together, a meal of food, but also a meal of spiritual nourishment as we have fellowship around your word and your son. Fellowship of the Spirit that you give through your grace. Fellowship of the stories we all share as we seek to grow in our walk with you. We just thank you for your provision. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.